Bravo. That, that was amazing, Mike. And well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, joining Forging Manufacturing. I appreciate your time so much. Absolutely. Glad to be here, man. So uh, today, Jason, I know you and I are both extremely excited. Uh, we're breaking the mold a little bit, right? Little so bit. nobody, yeah. nobody directly from manufacturing, um, but uh, we have a, a thought leader for sure and an entertainer uh, definitely as well. Mike Rayburn, um, I, you and I have had an opportunity to, to actually see Mike Rayburn live and perform, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago. And here he comes, here right? He so <laughs> Mike yeah. Rayburn is a, a two-time uh, TED Talk presenter. Uh, he's a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, he's a member of the, the Speaker Hall of Fame. He's been on Sirius XM. He's regularly featured there. Uh, and he has, he's headlined the strip in Vegas, where I believe he also lives now. Yeah. And his big what if, which you'll hear about a, a bit too, is, you know, he wanted to play Carnegie Hall. And not only did he do it once, he's done it eight times. Uh, so he is a, a comedian, uh, you know, thought leader, uh, uh, motivational speaker and entertainer and uh, excellent classical guitar player. So I guess, you know, this is a little different than maybe some of our listeners who are generally manufacturers mm -hmm. are wondering, all right, so we opened up with Mike Rayburn playing the guitar. And what does, what does this have to do with manufacturing and, and getting better, right? Yes. And, and my quick answer would be, it has everything to do with manufacturing and getting better because uh, the key there is what I did with the guitar, I want I, I want audiences, your listeners, uh, to apply as a metaphor for what they do, uh, meaning I want them to look at it differently. I was playing the guitar a little differently than it's been played for the last 500 years. And so I believe that there are always new ways to look at anything. And so, uh, you know, hopefully we'll end up talking about some of the tools to do that. But the, just as a general point, I want people to look at what you do every single day to try to stand outside of it, to look at it in, in a different way, to look at it. And again, this is not change for the sake of change, but it's change for the sake of improvement. And I got to say, I, I uh, you know, I saw you a couple of years ago. I was fortunate enough to see you at an event. It really had an impact on my life, both professionally and personally. Uh, I think I've told you that before. And yeah. it's something I try not only to, to incorporate in my life, but I try to teach it into my children's life, into my customer's life. Your, your message is just rock solid. I love it. So really, really happy you're here today. Well, thank you. And, and it makes me feel good because one of the things I do say in, in each presentation is, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to just use this for yourself, but I want you to inspire it in others. And you're doing exactly that. So, man, awesome. That's that makes that makes me my work here is done. Uh, <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but, you know, so 
If you could, I mean, I, I gave a bit of a, a, a bio to, to kick off, um, but could you just give us a little bit of a background, like kind of how you ended up here and and just kind of what inspired the what if, and then we can get into the, the what if and what will really pertain to the rest of the audience. Right. Uh, so uh, for years, I was a guitarist and comedian. I played colleges. I played comedy clubs. I was a songwriter in Nashville. I was signed to Sony Music Publishing. And I had, at the same time growing up, I had learned to play guitar. In 11th grade, my father gave me a book called Psycho-Cybernetics, which is by a guy named Maxwell Maltz. And it's about the power of the mind, the power of mindset, the power of belief to change reality or to shape reality is probably a better word. And so I had, so while I'm being an artist, I still had all these uh, personal development, uh, mindset, goal setting ideas going. And I, I, taught, I, I would go to talks by different uh, presenters who would talk about similar points, uh, visualization and things like that. And so uh, it was never off in Weirdsville, but it was just life skills, life, stuff they don't teach you in college, uh, in most colleges. I actually know one who does. But anyway, uh, so along about, uh, I was, I was uh, about 20 years ago, um, I was at a turning point in my career. And I realized that if I created a keynote presentation, which you guys are talking about, uh, I could, or I could create a keynote presentation teaching possibility thinking, teaching mindset, teaching uh, ways to, to not just manage change, which most of us do, but to create change, to lead the way, right? Um, I could share these tools. And instead of most presenters who use you know, PowerPoint and statistics, um, I could use guitar and comedy as my delivery mechanism. So instead of focusing completely on guitar and comedy, I was focusing on sharing a message and I was using the guitar and comedy as delivery. And luckily, I mean, I was just guessing and it hit a niche. And so it kind of took off and I've been able to grow with that since then. Certainly has. And uh, yeah, I was also at the same presentation with, with Jason years ago and, you know, it, it has resonated and, and really shaped a, a big piece of, of my life as well. And you know, so again, our audience being manufacturers, and at the end of the day, we're businesses made up of people, right, that are trying to get better. I don't care if you're a manufacturer, or an architect, construction company, a, you know, a, a insurance firm, at the end of the day, you want to you grow, you want to get better, you want to improve your processes. What, from your perspective, what holds people and businesses back? If you could point to a couple of things, and maybe right. we can get into it from here. Uh, what holds people back? Uh, usually it comes down to individuals. Uh, I think it's the collective individual beliefs that shape the culture of an organization. And so, uh, so when an individual, we each have limiting beliefs. We have beliefs, I'm not good enough. Um, I'm not smart enough. Uh, I don't have enough experience. Um, I've never been good at that kind of thing. We have these, we have uh, limiting beliefs going on. And when any one of us has one of those, has some of those, collectively, if we're not doing something intentional to change those or intentional to respond to those, then that causes us to seek a comfort zone. And so what, once we get, this is where success breeds complacency sometimes, uh, where it's successful. We got something that's working and we have these beliefs that are going on subconsciously. And so when the opportunity to try something different, even though whatever's working is working, 
to try something different. We go, well, no, if it ain't, we, we, the old phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Well, here's the challenge with that. Time breaks everything, everything. So if it's working now, it likely will not be later. So if we're not the ones, so, so there's this, this desire to stay in our comfort zone as an organization, as an individual, as one team, as part of the organization, that desire to stay in the comfort zone is what keeps us from moving forward. The one other point I would share is that uh, I, I deliver a second keynote presentation called Become a Virtuoso. And what I exhort people to do is to make the choice to become their personal best, to become a virtuoso. Uh, no one becomes great without choosing to do so. No one gets better without choosing to do so. Um, and so absent that choice, we kind of stay where we are. Or we, we might improve a little with just because it's the flow of things in an organization, but we don't improve nearly as much as we could if we make that decision first and then act on it. So what I try to get groups to do is to collectively make the each one of them individually, but as a group, to make the choice to become their personal best, the best they can possibly be. Because most of us, even when we improve, we stop at acceptable, good enough, okay, getting by, what's required, instead of moving past that. So I think that those limiting beliefs, not having made the decision to become your personal best, um, and then the desire to stay in one's comfort zone, those are, those are at least part of what holds organizations back. You mentioned uh, a couple things. I think it's great time kills or time breaks everything eventually. And even in, if a manufacturer is running smoothly, they're getting the product out they want, if they wait long enough, their competition actually is going to start out, outpacing them and um, taking some of that, that revenue away from them. Uh, but you did mention something prior too, which was um, in one of your reels was managing change is basically folly. You need to create change. I'd like to, if you could expand a little bit further on that. I, I love that point. Sure. Uh, well, my, my presentation, as you can see from right here, is called the What If Keynote Experience. And I just call it that because the question, what if, which everybody's heard, I know, uh, but I invite people to revisit it, uh, always opens up possibilities. And so uh, when uh, I've gone to, I've presented for major corporations, which we would all know, uh, who have programs, entire programs, their whole book and online portals and everything on managing change. And Peter Drucker said it, managing change is not only stupid, it's dangerous. The only way to manage change is to create change. Now, if you look at something like, because we talked about time breaks everything. If you look at something, and this is a classic example, so I know it's kind of cliche at this point, but you talked about people, you know, something's running okay as a manufacturer. Well, let's look at taxis. Taxis were running fine as an organization until Uber came along. And Uber has taken, Uber and Lyft have taken a great portion of their business, a great portion of their business. I mean, mark, crazy market share. And so that's because they had something that was working and time broke it. Time because time means what, you know, technology. Technology came along and somebody said, you know, now Uber, the largest transportation company in the world, doesn't own a vehicle. <laughs> That's crazy, okay? So this is why we need to, instead of being an organization who either manages change that's coming at them or simply just keeps doing the things that they're doing that work, 
needs to have some component, a person, a team, um, a mindset of the organization, which is looking ahead, which is always looking for, the, for a new way to do things, a way to improve. Again, going back that, to that virtuoso decision, making the choice to become the best. That means looking at what's going on in the industry, looking at what's going on outside the industry. Almost every disruption to an industry comes from outside that industry. It's someone else who looked differently. I just came from High Point University. High Point, and I played there when I played colleges when it was a, described as a, a dusty old private school in the South. And then a guy named Dr. Nito Kubain came along and he's my friend and mentor and extremely, extraordinarily successful businessman. He owned Great Harvest Bread Company. He's on the board of BB&T Bank and Lazy Boy and all that. He's very successful. And he came into it not as an academician, not as a dean, not as a teacher even, at least in a formal sense. He came in as a businessman. And he said, what, what do we need to do to, let's re-examine the outcome. The outcome is students who are ready to, to, to enter the workforce and take over. Students who are ready to meet the world as it's going to be, not as it is. And so he said, what do we have to do that, to do that? And he changed everything. And that whole school has been disrupted and now, it's having an effect all throughout higher education in the US just from High Point. And it's because somebody outside the industry did that. So I want your, your people listening now to have some component where we're looking ahead. We're looking at what technology is doing. We're looking at what other sometimes disparate, maybe unrelated organizations or um, thinkers or uh, entrepreneurs are doing to see how we can possibly do something better. The Forging Manufacturing Podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. There are a comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus of helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Uh, well said. And, you know, just a quick plug for those that are, are just listening and, and not seeing the video and the screen behind you. I, I really recommend going to, to MikeRayburn.com. That's www.mike.com. M-I-K-E, Rayburn, R-A-Y-B-U-R-N.com. And, you know, there's, there's so much, there's a lot of tools up on the, your website and, you know, you've got a, the what if book, you've got the DVD, you've got, you know, opportunities to interact and, and different, you know, many different ways, pretty much every medium, especially now that virtual is, well, for the last two years, it's pretty much been the standard. Yes. Uh, so many ways to interact. Wondering, you know, can you share a, a tool or, or two just to, to help inspire our audience to figure out how to, how to get started or, or just something to like, everybody needs that jumping off point. And you've spoken to the mindset a little bit, but is there a little bit more that you can give the audience to help, like give them a kickstart? Give a kickstart toward? Towards, towards achieving the what if or, or oh. finding what that what if may be. Because again, that what if could be anything you know, for our audience. And it could be personal. It could be sure. the business. Yeah. First of all, uh, let's talk about, let, let's talk about problem solving and then we'll talk about possibilities. Um, I use, I use the question, what if to, for radical problem solving. And so when there's a problem, let me give you an example of how this was done and you'll see how it can be applied when there's a problem. 
there's an organization I presented for called Orshelin. Orshelin uh, is in the Midwest. They own about 170 farm and home retail stores. It's like a farm version of Home Depot. And I presented for their all their managers of all their stores uh, in February of 2019. Two months later, March of 2019, um, uh, April, or March or April, uh, there were devastating floods throughout Nebraska. Uh, the uh, store in Seward, Nebraska is managed by a guy named Evan Couch. Evan and his team show up at 6.30 in the morning. They're opening at eight. And they find, first of all, all but one section of the parking lot are completely underwater uh, and frozen. It's Nebraska. Uh, they, the store had had two inches of flood water throughout the entire store. It had receded, but it, you know what, you've seen what you know, floods leave, a muddy mess everywhere. There was no way they're gonna open that day. There's no way, probably not the next day. And the challenge wasn't just that they're not, they're losing the revenue of a you know, day or two's in, uh, business, but the community was depending on the products they sell for them to clean up and to dig out and to fix things, right? So the, his team's all just assessing the damage, assessing the situation. And obviously they are burdened with problems. So think about that as a metaphor for wherever your listeners are right now. But think about that problem where everyone sees what the problem is, right? So he gathered the team together and he did this exactly as I teach it. He gathered them together and he said, okay, guys, this is crazy. What if we had to open today by 8 a.m.? How would we do it? Pause the story. What that did was it got everyone's focus from scarcity and problem to abundance and solution. You've got every one of you has team members who have extraordinary abilities if you'll just tap into them. The question, what if, is a great way to do it. Pose a question to them. Those people will answer. They'll, they'll go to work. Your brain does the same thing for you. So, so he said, well, what if we had to? How would we do it? Well, they started brainstorming. Here's what they did. They posted somebody at the front of the parking lot to direct traffic to the one place they could park. There was no way they were going to clean that score, store up in an hour. But they could clean the front area near the registers. So they brought customers in. They brought a few extra employees in with boots who would take the customer's order, almost like a fast food place, walk through the store, gather up the products they need. It's kind of like when you go to an auto parts store, they don't let you go back through the thing, they go back and get it. So they got all the products, they bring it up to the cash register, ring them up and they're on their way. They opened at 8 a.m., they had a full day of sales and not only uh, did it have a full day of sales, but they built a new bond with the community because they saw them all just going out of their way to serve. So that's a very practical way when there's a problem and everyone is looking at the problem and you do need to assess the problem. That's, I'm not saying that's wrong, but at some point it's important to get everyone to say, okay, what if we could do this? What if we had to do this? What if, look at the numbers you're trying to create and just ask the question, what if we had to create this? What would we do with it? Okay, so that's a very practical way to use the question, what if, in a very real situation. Does that make sense? So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I'd also say, as far as uh, looking to the future, I start to dream a little bit. I start to, uh, to imagine what I do in a larger context. So I want people, there's a, um, 
uh, I've had a number of different successes, and I don't I don't want to sit here and you know tell my own accolades, but to share this from college, I had a dream of playing Carnegie Hall. I always wanted to play Carnegie Hall. I studied classical guitar in college and uh, music business. And I just, I, a student who had been at my college had gone there and played one song at, as part of a larger event. And they did an article about him. And I was like, wow, Carnegie Hall, that's like, you know, it's the, the, the brass ring for a musician. And I had that goal. And it's, it's something that seemed impossible. So the way I refer to this is writing music that you can't play. I want your people in a very practical way to set at least one goal, depending on the time frame. you know, if it's six months or if it's six years, I don't know. But within the context of the time frame, set one goal, or when you come up with the goal, don't start with what's possible. Forget that. Start with what's cool. <laughs> What's right? What's the dream case, right? People say, you know, in a perfect world, I would. Yes, in a perfect world, you would what? And, and why is that not the goal? And then they say, oh, well, it was because it's impossible and we, and we kill it, right? So what I, I want you to say, well, come up with this goal. And here's the, here's the test to know in a practical way whether you have the goal I'm talking about or not. It takes courage to think it. The kind of goal that completes this phrase, okay, this is nuts, but I'm going to, what is it that's nuts, but you're going to do it anyway. So um, practically, there's three things you got to do with it. I've studied every goal setting program on the planet and you boil it down. It comes down to this. Number one, you got to write it down. Can't just think about it. Number two, you got to commit to it. Get your heart in there. This is going to happen. Commitment. And number three, you got to take physical action on it within 24 hours of writing it down, preferably right away but at least within 24 hours. And if you'll do this, the coolest thing will happen. The universe will come to your aid. I personally call it God. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's like the universe likes goals like this. Um, and in fact, I've heard it in the more spiritual context, I've heard it say, if you're setting goals that you know how to, to achieve, uh, it's kind of an insult to God. Give God a chance to be God, you know? So anyway, uh, so I did that. I set that with Carnegie Hall and I kind of, I just, for decades, I just learned the skills. And then in, in a strange way, I won't go into the whole story. Um, an opportunity came out and all of a sudden I got to play at Carnegie Hall. I ended up playing there eight times. Uh, I recorded a live at Carnegie Hall CD. That's on the website as well. And so, uh, so I invite you to think beyond where you are now to, to think beyond and uh, above, not just, lateral sideways we want to, we're all moving up uh, and to think you know what what if we could do this and detach yourself from the outcome that's what usually we filter everything through this is it possible uh filter before we write it down we and don't filter it Get rid of that filter for a moment. Just dream. You're not committed to it. Just write it down. Write down crazy stuff. I do this all the time. And, uh, and it works. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll even go on record. Right now, I did this one time. I set a goal to, to perform a keynote, uh, a duet of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, two guitars, playing the whole dun, 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 symphony, uh, just with two guitars. And I would play both of them, with one of them being my hologram. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and so you can look on my website. I did it in 2014. I'm the first person to ever do that. And, and so now my goal, I'm telling you right now, is to be able to do that in every show. I don't know how yet. I, I have no idea how, you know, to be able to do 3D on stage so that somebody sitting in the audience like you guys were would see this thing. So anyway, does that make sense? It does. It's probably, probably easier to do that in Las Vegas, Mike. They've got all the, all the fun toys there. Interestingly, that's not where I found the company to do it. Oh, really? I did the first one. Yeah, I found them in Santa Monica. Um, you kind of just blew my mind a little bit because I just remembered as you were telling that story, the three-step process. I it was it was a mid-year meeting for Dave and I, and I was yeah. sitting at twenty-five percent of my quota, and I half laughed and wrote down I was going to make Diamond Club. Wrote it down, didn't really put my heart into it but had that thought because I did write it down and I did make uh, diamond club that year. So that kind of blew my mind when you told that story. Boom. I forgot all about it. It's pretty okay. good. I'm, I'm writing that down. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Can I use, can I use that? Can of I course. tell people that? Yeah, of okay. course. Of course. I can share with you. I have, I think it's over a hundreds of stories of people who've written to me with similar goals, similar things they've done uh, an out of work pianist. Um, and, and she's married. She has a kid who's 18 months old. She just got fired from the UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas um, music department and, uh, and, the, and the Las Vegas opera. And she joined my virtuoso program, and, um, which I'll tell you about later if you want. But she joined that to, I have this, I call it the virtuoso system. It's just a system to follow to do exactly what you talked about. And uh, she said she wanted to tour the world. She wanted to study on a world-class level and tour the world as a, as a world-class pianist. And I'm like the believer in the dream. And I'm even going, I'm thinking to myself, that's pretty optimistic. <laughs> okay. So we set the goal. We did the process. I was typing up. I have a TED talk on this called Become a Life Virtuoso. And I was literally typing the TED talk when her email came in, freaking out. She'd been accepted to the Manus School of Music, the New England Conservatory, chosen to Juilliard Professional Studies, uh, one of three out of 2,000 who applied. Um, and she ended up graduating from Juilliard. She toured the world as, as the uh, accompanist for a, a cellist by the name of Kari Joyner. And now she is a professor at Juilliard. Awesome. <laughs> and she was out of work when she first did this. So it freaking works. It does yeah. work. And I wanted to, I saw a picture the other day of all the Ford trucks sitting on this huge lot. And I, I was thinking about this podcast and your, your what if concept. Um, and I think back, you know, it wouldn't be a 2021 podcast if we didn't talk a little bit about COVID. But prior to COVID, nobody at Ford, maybe they did, but this is an example. Nobody at Ford could have imagined that there'd be a chip shortage uh, today, right? Mm -hmm. And so I also think that you could use this what if for planning for the future, right? Even oh, if you yeah. haven't seen the concepts yet, well, well, what if we could no longer get our supplies from overseas? What would we do? And that's, to me, is a pretty powerful point, too. Thank you for saying that. That is such a great point. And it brings up the criticism I've gotten for my presentation. And I'll just to be vulnerable and open the curtains here. Uh, people, people often use the what if question in a negative way. Like the, what, they refer to the what ifs. You know, what if this bad thing happens? What if this bad thing happens? What if I'm not good enough to do this? What if, what if? And what I say is, if you'll simply detach the worry and fear from that, it's a very useful tool to say, what if this bad things happen, thing happens? What am I going to do about it? What if this bad thing happens? What am I going to do about it? I know a guy, speaking of COVID, 
uh, I know, I know his wife. I, I barely, I met him, shook his hand, but I know his wife. Um, and as COVID hit and, and the lockdown began in March of 2020, uh, and we were all headed to Walmart and wherever else we could find toilet paper and everybody's doing, going crazy. They were fine. And the reason is her husband, not like a prepper, like, you know, doomsday kind of scenario, but he was just smart. He just thought, you know, what if something happens that we can't get basic supplies? And he basically stored them up. So he had food, basic necessities, toilet paper, water, those kind of generator. Um, and, and he keeps those now. Anyway, he just said, what if? A lot of people look at that and go, oh, he's just living in fear. No, actually, he's, he's doing some pretty accurate uh, risk assessment, you know, risk possibilities. So just use, just get rid of the negative side of it. Just get rid of the, oh no, what if this is bad? And, and just using it as something that brings you down. Entertain that question. What are you going to do about it? Yep. Absolutely. No, I think that really does resonate to everybody, you know, in manufacturing because anything that's kind of a, a linear process or you think of the assembly line, you think of anything that's a, that well-oiled machine planning for the, the potential you know, yes. planning for the future is critical because again, these are, there's people's lives, businesses, many things are disrupted. Think about it this way. We all, uh, there's, I met one of the guys who does this um, and, uh, and he ended up being on TV about it. Uh, the, the TSA or the Homeland Security hires people to try to get weapons through um, security, hires people to try to get, to break their systems. Okay, they're they're identifying risks. They're looking for what, how could someone, if someone wanted to, and they're letting them brainstorm on their own and just try, you know, do whatever. See if you could get this answer. If you can do that, well, we don't have to do that just in a life or death situation like that would be. In your in your in your basic processes, what if this goes down? What if that goes down? What if this person doesn't show up? What if I get this many people? Uh, there was a good scenario where. Um, a friend of mine went into an organization and was talking with him. And uh, he said, well, what if all the knowledge of, of, the, of the salespeople, he had a huge sales force who really knew they needed to be to sell, sell whatever this business was, they needed to be very, almost engineers, no, it's technical, right? And, uh, and he said, well, what if all your people disappeared and you didn't have that knowledge? And they're all like, well, we don't have to worry about that because we got so many. What, and then he said, well, let me show you the stats. 80, 85% of them are retiring in the next three years. What are you doing about getting their knowledge? Good thing to identify before they all go on, right? <laughs> That's going on everywhere. This is the power of the question, what if? I, uh, one of my goals when I work with my customers is to sort of optimize their, their factory floor. And so I always try to challenge them to, to, to use the question, what if? What if we could increase your, our throughput by 30%? There's another tagline that goes along with your story of what if it's it's why not? Could you talk mm -hmm. to the, about that a little bit? Because I and that's my next question to them, right? What if you increase? Let's just say increase thirty percent. What's holding you back, or why not? Why can't you do that? And that yeah. identifies some things. If you could talk briefly about that, sure. That identifies what's standing in the way. Everything is an obstacle because I see us all as uh, when we're standing here in this conversation. Whoever's listening to this right now, you're at a certain spot. And you have goals. And again, they're not horizontal, they're up. And so you're going to start moving. And there, first of all, there will be problems. We all know that. Just if, if anybody's 
not aware of that yet. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and so the question is, how are we going to look at them? And if we're going to look at them as things that, oh, crap, it's holding me back. Wrong answer. It's there because when we're standing right where we are right now as we're listening to this and, and sharing this, um, we're not good enough to be where that is. And so those obstacles are there to, to give us the ability, strength, knowledge, um, whatever it takes to be at that higher spot. And so you, it's kind of the rite of passage to look at stumbling blocks as stepping stones. So uh, looking at, I always talk about it this way, looking at what's holding you back, what's, what's in the way of doing this. That's always, that's always an accurate question at the beginning of a plan and in throughout, but at the beginning of a project plan, uh, an initiative that you've got uh, to say, why aren't we there now? What's, what are the things, our people aren't skilled enough. They need to learn this technology. We haven't implemented this technology. Um, we've got, we're, we're having a shortage of um, uh, qualified help applying for jobs. Whatever those things, looking at what is, what holds you back from it is equally important and integral to looking at how we're going to get there. Um, and there's, uh, when I, I always talk about something, when you have a project, I'll use the, the hologram, uh, for instance, uh, but use this as a metaphor for having a big project. There are a series of steps. You start at the beginning of it. You say, what are we going to have to do to do this, to make this? And you, you'll come up with all the steps. And then ultimately, you'll put them in some kind of a chronological order. There's always one step in a process that I call the limiting step. There's always one step which defines whether you'll do it or how fast you'll do it. Uh, and the others might not be that way. For me, when I created a keynote presentation that's going to conclude using a hologram of myself and a duet of Beethoven symphony, I had to write the keynote. I had to do the arrangement of a Beethoven. There's not an arrangement of a duet, so I had to write one. I had to uh, uh, find a company to do the, the hologram. I had to shoot the hologram. I had to, I had to write the conversation that I have with myself. I had to put it all together. I had to make sure the hotel had rigging. I had all these different points. The limiting step was finding a company to create the hologram affordably. Because if I couldn't do that, even if I did everything else, it wouldn't happen. There's always one step. So ask yourself, what step in this process defines whether we'll do this or not? And then focus your energies on that step. Does that make sense? Yep, completely. So, you know, we're getting close on time here, Mike, and thank you again for, uh, for, for joining with us and, <laughs> you know, sharing your energy, especially too, and, and all your wisdom. You know, you've spoken about the, the becoming a virtuoso. Do you want to speak to that at all? Sure. Um, making the choice to become a virtuoso. Uh, it's something that uh, uh, back <laughs> in the 90s, I had been playing colleges and uh, late 90s. Um, and I, I had been playing and I was doing really well in that just that niche market. And my friend and mentor, Brian Tracy, said, uh, Mike, that's great. Have you resolved to be the best, which I call making the choice to become a virtuoso? And he said, have you resolved to be the best? And I was kind of like, dude, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> dude, that's guitar player talk. And uh, he, he said, dude, that's not what I asked you. He said, have you made the choice to become the personal best? And I thought about it. And the answer knocked me over because the answer was no. Here I was. So many people are in the same position. Here I was doing what I feel like I've been put on the planet to do. And because it's working, I was coasting. 
most adults are coasting. And here's the problem with coasting. It only happens downhill. So I made the choice. And so he basically gave me an exercise that I'll just give you guys this exercise. This works so well if you simply do it all the way. Uh, he said, take out a sheet of paper, write this question at the top. And at this point, he's got me because I, you know, he's nailed where I am in life and what I'm not doing right. So I, what it, would it take for me to become a virtuoso? And then a blank. What would it take for me to become a virtuoso? So for me, it would be, what would it take for me to become a virtuoso guitarist and comedian and professional speaker? What would I do to get there? See, the point here is that most of us understand the need, as you said in the beginning, uh, for continuing education, getting better. Very few of us articulate a path with intentionality as to where we want to go, what it's going to take to get there. What would you do on a regular basis to become what it is you want to become? And so I did. I sat down. And did it. So, you know, what would it take for me to become a virtuoso leader? What would it take for me to become a virtuoso facilities manager? What would it take? Whatever it is. And so uh, and so then so I I started doing it and I ended up with a list of 11 things and a lot of them are common. Um, I would be reading regularly in my field, possibility thinking that I would be listening to programs by others, you know, educating myself. I practice on a regular basis. I would go to every presentation I could go to. I would get a mentor, someone who's done something similar to what I want to do, who's farther along, who, who's willing to pour into me. I would get regular coaching, which is different than mentor because coaching is intentional and you usually pay for it. Um, I do coaching, by the way. That's, that's because I, I so believe, I believe that you are a coach and you have a coach and uh, always. And so, uh, so some of those would be common to anybody doing this. And the, and, and the key there is this list. If you sit down to do this, most of us, it won't take more than 10 minutes. And the reason is um, we, all, we know what we need to do. Most of us know exactly what we need to do. We just don't do it. <laughs> so it's simply becoming intentional. I came up with 11 things and I follow that. I think one in 20, Two years, one of one thing changed just because a little bit change in my career. So those, are, so that's what I talk about. And then I've developed a program called Virtuoso Global, and this is where I, I like to talk with people about what it takes to get from where you are to where you where you want to be. What it takes to become a master of what you do. What it takes to 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 set that goal, to create that plan. The things that I've done for others in this virtuoso system. And what I'll just offer this to, to any of your listeners, because um, you, you, we did this phone call, uh, I offer to do a, a complimentary 30-minute strategy call. I call it a what-if jumpstart. And uh, um, I can give you the calendar, you can give you the Calendly link, and you can sign up, and I will talk with you for 30 minutes uh, to do this, just to see, to see to, I want to hear what you want, want to do. I want to offer perspective and outside, you know, I'm an artist, so I look at things differently. Uh, outside perspective makes some possible next steps. And if it made sense to, uh, the, for us to work together in some way beyond that, we could look at that too. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, and thank you for that. And when, uh, when we wrap, we'll give details on how uh, people can get in touch with us. And so we can connect them with you to get that, that 30 minute what if jumpstart. Uh, really do appreciate that. Uh, I hope everybody takes advantage of it. And 
books up your Calendly. <laughs> hope, <laughs> hope we make you eat your words there, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all right, man. I, I dig this stuff and, uh, and, and it, and it works. It's, it's a, yeah. it's a powerful thing. Oh, thank you. And I guess, uh, last thing, I guess we'd be remiss if, if we didn't ask you, do you want to play out a little, a little, little outro here for us as we, as we go? Sure. Well, you can go on my website. I would, if, if I had the chance, I would do something like, uh, you can go on my website. I like to finish with something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which I can do on just one guitar. Now we're good. Uh, but let me do uh, this style. Uh, this is a what if question. What if you could play a guitar without strumming or picking fingers or this? Well, that's how I started. You can, you just touch the string. And this works, I'm doing it on an acoustic guitar. I've got it amplified so you can hear it, but it works. I'll turn it off. You can, you can still hear it, it still works. And the piece is called Quicksilver. It'll be uh, short and to the point, but a lot of notes. <laughs> so thank you guys, here we go. This is called, yeah, Quicksilver. Manufacturing is directed and produced by Dave Hampton and Jason Flores, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Forging Manufacturing is an Applied Software production, copyright Applied Software 2021.